farming is not easy. Farmers' lives are full of hard work and long hours. And most days, they have to deal with problems that pop up out of nowhere. Problems like the weather, the age-old friend and nemesis of farmers, which is why some farmers say a farmer makes plans and God laughs. And it seems like the weather is only getting more unpredictable, more erratic, and more destructive. And farming is getting harder. I'm Rosie Starr, host of Farm and Country. And I'm Jason Dole, host of The Local Edition. Members of the general non-farming public may not realize how difficult farming is in general, but this year it seems like local farmers had a harder time than usual, and mostly because of the weather. So we sat down with local farmers from upstate New York and northeast Pennsylvania to talk to them about the year that they had and the weather challenges they faced. This hour, we bring you their stories. Welcome to Hard Harvest, a special presentation from Radio Catskill. Farmers are at the mercy of the weather, pure and simple. Whether it's rain or severe wind, tornadoes, thunderstorms, or drought. It was probably one of the strangest seasons we've ever seen. We had days where it was not ideal to work how thick the smoke was. And God only knows what's in the smoke, I don't know. And horses, they don't have masks. That was so disturbing because I'm thinking, well, it's all landing on the grass. The horses are going to be eating all the pollutants in it. No precipitation from March until 4th of July. And then when it opened up, it rained till pretty much last week. Weekend after weekend of rainy weather in September into October. There was so much rain, it was impossible to get that hay in and there was marble-sized hail dropping out of the sky. And I was trapped in the steel building. Like, you could not walk outside. Every shed was gone. Every fence was down. 500 trees completely demolished. 3,000 pounds of carrots is a good year for us. This year, maybe 300. Most of them rotted in the ground. It's just a shame. Having that frost and then having a lot of the rain did diminish what we brought in this year on our blueberries. Out of all our apple trees, two or three produced a little bit of fruit and the rest had no fruit due to that frost. It was more than a frost, it was two days of freeze and uh, it wiped our crop completely out. There's no turning back. The farm has totally changed forever. Before we get into the conversations, it may help to know the overall story of the weather in 2023, because not only was it unpredictable, but it was totally inconsistent. That's right. First, the growing season started with a drought coming out of a dry winter. Then there was severe weather resulting in tornadoes. Unseasonably warm weather in the early spring led to a jumpstart on fruit-bearing trees, followed by a killing frost with a two-day freeze in mid-May. And after that, the region was blanketed by smoke from Canadian wildfires all through the late spring and into the early summer. Severe heat in July was followed by an unseasonably cool August. Then, constant rain throughout the summer and into the fall. What a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was some hail in there, too, both in the spring and in the summer. Uh, But first off, we're going to start talking about that snap freeze and the toll that it took on fruit production from individual growers to large businesses that depend on their fruit trees. Here's Charlie, a resident of Damascus, Pennsylvania. I have a a 50-year-old peach tree that every other year she produces a bundle of fruit, and this should have been her year on, and we got maybe two pieces of fruit on that tree, and I should have had two bushels. And out of all our apple trees, two or three produced a little bit of fruit, and the rest had no fruit due to that frost, so it was really devastating. I did know by the weather reports that it was going to dip down really cold, and I was hoping it wasn't going to affect the buds, but I guess the process where our trees were probably just budding out and and they got affected and and i know in our area a lot of other orchards were devastated and you know, i do it as a family you know yard as opposed to a commercial enterprise and, and that must have been devastating for them kaylin jocelyn owns and operates lucky dog organic farm in hamden new york i only have seven peach trees And for the pear trees, we didn't have any fruit. The blossoms all fell off and and died. 
However, I think next season we can mitigate that by really paying closer attention to the weather and putting up blankets or finding some way to wrap these so that we don't lose it. It's not a lot. For the blueberries, we lost about a third of the crop. We were actually pretty lucky compared to other farmers in the area. That frost had a big impact on a lot of the fruit producers in the area, which we don't specialize in. But that was the first notable thing for the season. And we carried on as if it were a a typical year. And we had changed some of our seeding plans and our greenhouse planting plans, trying to be more efficient with how we were using potting soil and things like that. Here is Eugene Thalman from Sprouting Dreams Farm in Liberty, New York. We had some really cold nights toward the end of May. So not only did we have really hot days, but we also had really cold nights too. And those swings are the most dangerous aspect of farming because when you have like a stable climate, you can mitigate challenges in one direction better. Whereas when you have those extreme swings, you're dealing with, okay, you can keep a row cover down, which is going to protect from the one extreme, which is cold. But now when you have the other extreme, which is hot, now any of that row cover that you haven't gotten off in a timely manner will cook the plant. On top of that, too, generally in May, what works in our favor is those regular rains, meaning that you don't have to be irrigating extensively and things can take it was just more challenging. I mean, you had to irrigate and you had to irrigate extensively. And it was amazing. Like you would, you could irrigate all night long and the soil would still be dry because you weren't getting those inches of rain on a consistent basis that the rains would normally provide. Anything that you did irrigate would just evaporate out quickly. Seminary Hill Orchard and Cidery is located on a hill above Calicoon, New York. Bill Hess is the director of orchard facilities at Seminary Hill. He's responsible for all of the trees and fruit that they grow. Heading into 2023, he was expecting it would be a particularly abundant year. We did. We looked for a great crop. The signs were great. We had great pollination. Buds, we had a good bud set. When we were pruning, we could tell. Good pollination again. Then we had two weeks of really beautiful weather. Most of all, our fruit trees had all blossomed, nice warm weather. We started to set fruit, and then we got the freeze. It was more than a frost. It was two days of freeze, and uh, it wiped our crop completely out. Was that May 17th? Yeah, 17th and 18th. There was two days. Temperatures dropped down. The lowest I saw was 26, but there was a big wind chill with it. So two nights and days of freeze with the wind chills probably in the teens actually made the apples drop. We had fruit set, and they just dropped from the trees. We had a couple of real late varieties that produced some apples, but of the 60 varieties, there was apples on three, and only two of them had any kind of a crop at all, and they were the real late bloomers. Everything was looking like it was going to be a fantastic year, and then we just were, in a matter of two days, just annihilated. How did you deal with this? (laughs) There's nothing you can really do except there's nothing you can really do. Mother Nature's in charge. So you can try to do what you can as far as tree nutrition, all that going in, prepare your soils. We tried to develop uh, nesting habitat, mason bees for the pollinators. That, That all helps the harvest, but you're really down to Mother Nature. And when you get the freeze like that, and it's this elevation. We've got a tree at home. It's a northern spy. It's a real old heirloom tree made for the northern climate. I had a good crop on that, but that was it. Of the four varieties I have home, that's the only one I've had poor fruit. Do you think it was literally what side of the mountain you were on? That had a lot to do with it, because even if you look downtown, we've got some trees downtown that had a crop. If they were on a sheltered or the south side of a building, it definitely helped. Everybody thinks it's a frost. It wasn't a frost. It was a freeze. It was down in the 20s with wind. Frost only occurs on still nights, still calm nights, and it's a frost. And then a lot of times you'll get 
maybe the top scaffold your trees will freeze underneath they're protected somewhat and you'll get fruit there but this was actual freeze we had clusters of apples set four or five to a cluster looked like it was going to be great and then it just dropped the fruit and it's this like uh, altitude and area too here damascus we have no real large body of water to moderate temps like they do in the Finger Lakes and Western New York and Hudson Valley. So it makes it a little more difficult here. And the Delaware River is south of us and the wind came from the north, so uh, really didn't help us at all. But yeah, definitely on the sheltered side of a building or southern exposure was sheltering. Two varieties we did have are at the bottom of our orchard in a high-density planting that's a little more sheltered too that probably helped. What are you hearing from other farmers? Well, locally here, we've talked to another gentleman, Damascus, same thing. He, he had very few, just a couple of trees. The later varieties had fruit. And then it's scattered. Right in here, n- n- almost nothing. You might see a tree, like I said, at, mine at home, a northern spy. There was one place out in the Beechwoods. There's a few old apple trees. They had quite a lot of fruit. I think they're probably spies, too, but... It all depended where you were, up to New England, New York, like this altitude of New York, with no moderating temps of water temps or anything like that to raise the temperature up. It was probably a few degrees. They probably could have taken like 28, 29, but having that, that cold. And the wind chill, there's definitely a wind chill factor to it. And it was, it was cold. Hi, I'm Stuart Madney. I'm director of ciders. I make, market, and sell cider here. Initially, I was very concerned that there wouldn't be pretty much any apples in New York. People in the Finger Lakes or in the Hudson Valley were both protected by, I think, the the geography and, you know, the heat being held in the bodies of water. It was spotty, just depending on the flukes of wind flow and where a lake was or whatever. So we've been able to buy fruit this year, but of course, the biggest disappointment for me was we had this gorgeous bloom, 54 varieties of cider apples and seven of peri pears. I thought, oh, this might be the first year I get to make peri. So that was, I was excited about that, but I was really excited about what we would learn about all these varieties and especially which ones are a really good match for our spot right here on earth and being able to start to determine which ones we might want to top work over to graft over to become the really great matches for our spot. And instead, we didn't really get to learn anything about that this year. So that was a big disappointment. Now, you mentioned that you were able to purchase apples. Were they different species from the ones that you normally make cider? How has it affected now your presentation to your clients, your visitors that come here for cider sampling? I'll only buy varieties that are in the orchard. They're ones that will grow. We'll be as close to making estate cider as we can be. And orchards are young, so we're still buying some fruit in any event, but we're obviously buying a lot more this year. New York has a great cider culture and a lot of great growers and uh, and also has like more cider tasting rooms than any other state. Cider is a really big deal in New York. New York's a great place to grow a lot of cider apples. We're very proud of the apples we grow, and we put a lot of care into it. So in that way, we're, we're very disappointed to have to buy apples. But I don't mean to say that, like, there aren't other great apple cider apple growers in New York, because there certainly are. According to the New York Farm Bureau, apples are the number one produce item grown in the state for human consumption. And New York is the nation's third largest grower of grapes, with a 2022 economic impact study by the National Association of American Wineries reporting that the state has about 470 wineries and generates nearly $15 billion of economic activity in the state. So fruit is big business. But even when farmers experience massive crop failure, they still have the same bills to pay. They just can't recoup their losses. In July, the U.S. Department of Agriculture approved a federal agriculture disaster designation for 31 New York counties to help apple, grape, peach, and berry growers who suffered massive crop loss due to the freeze. Now, from ice, our story moves to fire. By the first week of June, more than 130 wildfires were burning in Quebec and Ontario. Smoke from those Canadian provinces just north of New York State eventually blanketed our entire listening area. 
The reduced air quality impacted everyone who works outdoors, including farmers. Eugene Thalman owns and operates Sprouting Dreams Farm in Liberty, New York. So the wildfires were blocking out the sun, and at that time in the growing season, more sun with those 18-hour days is really critical for getting the plants to really take off and get to fruiting production. We're talking like tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, things like that. So when you had that lack of light, especially on those really long days, that was impacting your plant growth and your overall product yield. When when this first started happening, can you give me your reaction? If you remember like what you thought when the first smoke really started coming into our area and did you realize right away that it was going to impact your growing? Well, it was the first time I've experienced wildfires like that. I remember two things that really stood out to me, which was, well, I was nicknaming it the Red Son of Death, which, you know, maybe not be the best name, but it was telling of the time. Jennifer and Leroy Canfield have a horse farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania, where they grow a lot of hay for their horses that they keep. That smoke hung around this whole valley for a long time. And um, gosh, you didn't have much choice but to go out and do your daily stuff. And along with COVID, we were wearing masks anyway. We had to put up with that. And horses and any animal, they don't have masks. So they're constantly breathing in smoke and God only knows what's in the smoke, I don't know. But um, that was not pleasant. Not pleasant at all. Jennifer, comment on the Canadian fire smoke. My biggest worry was that the smoke was also carrying pollutants with it. That was so disturbing because I'm thinking, well, it's all landing on the grass. The horses are going to be eating all this with all the pollutants in it. And that and it went on and on and on. And I, again, I'd bring them in in the daytime so they were out less, which was more work for us because we have more stalls to clean, or it takes longer to clean the stalls. And we were feeding, we were down to the end of whatever hay we had left from the previous year. So when they're in, you know, they can't be in all day and and then not have anything to eat, and hay would be ideal. So that was very touch and go. But the pollutants were the scariest part, I think. The other part, too, is, you know, you would get fatigued. We had days where it was just not ideal to work how thick the smoke was. And we work outside, so you were off those days. You know, you you could not perform at maximum capabilities with that. And, you know, it was really concerning. And then towards the end of the growing season, there was like, it was like raining every weekend. August was cold. Like, normally August, we would see temperatures in those late high 80s, low 90s. And, you know, the one thing that is really telling is if we get 100 degrees days up in the Catskills. Like, that's not very common for us here. We're generally colder than other parts of New York State. But normally, it's late July to mid-August. Those are those hottest days of the summer. And this year, we had those hot days in May and June, 90 plus days. But then August was 75, not very sunny and cloudy. And, you know, I'm not a meteorologist, but I would wonder how those wildfires added, um, you know, particulate to the atmosphere and seeded clouds, which then affected how our August turned out. That was Eugene Thalman of Sprouting Dreams Farm in Liberty, New York, taking us right up to the next portion of our program, the wet weather. Before we get into that topic, though, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, local farmers talk about rain, mud, hail, and tornadoes. Stay with us. This is Hard Harvest. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. You're listening to Radio Catskill.
Hi, I'm Mimi Bradley, Radio Catskills Development Manager. Did you know that you are our largest and most reliable source of funding? It's true, and there are many ways you can support us. Include Radio Catskill in your will. Make a gift of stock. Set up a charitable annuity or trust. Make an IRA charitable distribution. Make a donation in memory or in honor of a loved one. I can give you all the details. Call me on 845-482-4141 or email mimi at wjffradio.org. Welcome back to Hard Harvest, a special presentation from Radio Catskill. I'm Rosie Starr. And I'm Jason Dole. We're talking to local farmers about the year they had, especially in face of unpredictable weather. And one of the biggest weather stories for local farmers in 2023 was an overabundance of rain in the second half of the year. My name is Brian Fox. This is my wife, Rachel, and our farm is Salem Mountain Farm. We're in South Canaan, Pennsylvania. This is our 22nd year farming. We do a lot of storage crops for the winter, mostly potatoes, onions, carrots, cabbages. We often have a lot of radishes and beets, however, not this year so much. Uh, Weather was kind of rough, but um, we're happy with what we have. Can you elaborate a little bit on the challenges you had with the weather? Yeah, uh, it was uh, probably one of the strangest seasons we've ever seen. It was pretty much no precipitation from March until right about 4th of July. And then when it opened up, it, it rained from early July until pretty much last week. Probably averaging between 9 and 10 inches a month, which is just really challenging as a small farm in northeastern PA with our poorly drained soil. We have a pretty heavy clay. We do a lot of raised beds. We try to do some subsoiling, diverting water, but still, even with doing all of that, very challenging. In a normal year, we might harvest around, say, 3,000 pounds of carrots is a good year for us. This year, maybe 300. Uh, Most of them rotted in the ground. It was just a shame. You've mentioned radishes before and the lack of them. Is this why there was a lack? The lack of radishes, we missed the uh, planting window for them. We did get them planted, but it was just too late, and they just never got to a size that we needed. So, yeah, it was kind of a bummer. Usually, you know, we'll do a couple thousand pounds of those. And, you know, it's surprising, like winter storage radishes, like the watermelon radish, there's a purple daikon, a green daikon, a red daikon, and a white daikon. But after later in the fall, as the nights get cold, days stay cold, they lose a lot of radish heat, and they get quite sweet. We're uh, kind of bummed not to have them this year. Here is Leroy Canfield from Canfield Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. You couldn't get the hay in when it was ready. There was so much rain, like every every other day. And down here, it takes about three days for the hay to get ready to go in. Well, on the second day, it usually rained, or the third day, it doesn't make any difference. It was impossible to get that hay in. And that's why I put in hay first and second cutting all in the same shot, you know. And uh, other than that, the economy is such that everything costs so darn much more. I mean, you know, double and triple for some things, totally, that's, that's not unusual. That's order of the day. You don't get used to that because nothing changes on, on the income. So you have to improvise and, you know, do the best you can with what you got. It doesn't make any difference how you turn around. It's more. Everything is more. Agway is more, and, and, and uh, all of the grocery stores are more. And uh, sometimes you wonder why, but uh, there's always a reason for it. Fuel is more, too. Baylor twine is more. And then in the end, because of these hardships, the product that you make has less nutrient value. So that's a big change because usually when we do harvest the hay in a good year or a regular year that isn't so hard on us, we're producing a product that has much more nutrient value for the horses. Therefore, they need less supplemental items. And so buying the supplemental items costs more. So it's been hard in that respect, too. How did you deal with all of these problems, the weather and hay crop and horses? 
I stretch my vocabulary right to the limit. <laughs> it's very tiring when you go out to do a routine job and you come back with nothing because it rained every other day. Some of the hay that, that I'd normally put in was left there. It never got put in because if, if it gets rained on, two or three times. I mean, I, I was out there tedding the field and fluffing up the hay so to get the air underneath it. And, and, you know, I would say to myself, well, that's not too bad. Probably about tomorrow I'll be able to put that in. Well, you know that on that night it rained like hell. Right back below zero, you know. So you got tired of that. And then there's the, the mental thing where you're trying your best to put the hay in for the horses but you're not working out too good. So then you say, if it's not working out for me, it's probably not working out for all the other farmers. Mm -hmm. So where the hell am I going to buy hay from mm -hmm. that would be reasonable? You know? And it, it, thank God we, we didn't have to cross that bridge. The other thing that's always on my mind is, is flooding of the river. And it's a big issue here because we're at the mercy of the dam, I'm watching that potential project that's going to be going on as much as I can because we would have to evacuate the horses, and I have had to evacuate during Hurricane Sandy. It's not fun because you never know when it's going to strike, and preparedness is, is really something you have to think about all the time. What if? You know, it's always the what if this happens. What are you hearing from other farmers and folks that you serve, were they impacted by the weather also? Yeah, uh, exactly. They were impacted, actually probably worse than I was because a lot of them are dairy farmers and uh, they can put in an easy 10,000 bales for the, for the herd. And uh, I'm not putting in that many at all. They make a living at it. I don't make a living on the horses that we have but uh, these farmers, they, they got, what, 40, 60, 80 cows. And uh, they got to get through the winter. They're at the same thing. A good thing that they have is uh, they have the round bale. They don't have to be as dry as a regular bale like I got. And they can put hay in that I, I wouldn't even dream of putting in because I don't want to lose my barn. Jennifer, have you talked to other horse farmers? Yes, I have, and I think we go back to the same issue. You know, it's the, the expense of the hay, if, if we can get good hay. Because horses' stomachs are different than cattle. Uh, they have a very small stomach, a very delicate digestion system, and they can't tolerate the product that cattle can. So the worry is that if you have to buy hay, you contract to buy a certain load, you don't know that the farmer that made the hay understood that there can't be any damp hay in it. Once a product is down, you know, horses don't have four stomachs to digest it. Once it's down, it's down, and they can't get rid of it. They'll fall prey to colic. Colic can be lethal. I think among the horse people, that's the biggest issue, is, is how the hay was harvested. Once again, Bill Hess, Director of Orchard Facilities at Seminary Hill Orchard and Cidery in Calicoon, New York. It's a couple things. It's wet. We are wet, wet. And the tree's like about an inch of rain a week. We're in heavy soils here. We're, our soils don't drain like they do in the Finger Lakes or the Hudson Valley or even the Lake Ontario quarter, which is a huge apple growing. And that's a different soils. Well, describe your soils at clay. Yeah, it's a, basically a real heavy clay. You'll have a little bit of a lighter soil on top, a little topsoil on top. The two orchards here are a little bit different. The one up the road's got a really heavy clay, almost like when we'd plant, it'd almost be like a clay pot. You'd be taking your uh, shovel and try to break the edges so the roots can, can break out. Down here, it's a little bit different. On top, it's loose, but then it gets down. It's super compacted soil. Sullivan County wasn't ever known for its great soil. 
<laughs> and of course, the river Pennsylvania has those big rocks, those Pennsylvania potatoes in that clay soil. Right. We have no shortage of rocks either. <laughs> Once again, Stuart Madney, director of cider making. As Bill mentioned, the wet weather, we've had a lot of that lately, and that has been difficult too. In 2021, was the wettest year since they started keeping weather data in this area. Lots of water in the apples, very little sunshine, low ripeness. Mother Nature presents a variety of challenges. Pretty unique year. The wet weather did not only impact the growing of vegetables or hay for livestock, it also impacted the purely business end of agribusiness. Brent Habig, owner of Two Creek Regenerative Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania, explains. And we have, we have a rainy weekend, we lose half of our sales. We have very loyal regulars that come, but a lot of the foot traffic at the markets is less than half of what it would be on a sunny day. It's always easy to imagine farming challenges as production challenges, a crop failure or animals getting sick. And, you know, we do have some of that uh, unexpected sort of production issues. But in general, the production side of the farm is actually the easiest. It's the marketing, the sales, the profitability, the labor. That's kind of where some of the wild cards come in. We've had increased feed prices, and this is very labor-intensive work, and there's a lot of cost that comes into that. So finding that balance, finding those price points where the product is compelling, is accessible, and we're able to then make money, that's always sort of the key challenge <laughs> underneath this, uh, this business model. In that sense, we're very appreciative of all of the customers that decide to spend their food dollars in the local economy and, and by buying products from our farm. That's really the engine that, that drives it all. The production side this season was pretty smooth. The weather was one way in June, and by August it was another. It was either drought or drowning. How did you manage all that? Yeah, this was a very dry spring. And that really slowed the growth of our pastures. Our veg gardens are irrigated. So, you know, we were able to just use water uh, for that. But obviously our pastures are not irrigated. So we lost a lot of early season growth. We had to rotate those animals a lot more than we otherwise would have needed to just so that they would have enough to eat. So we had a massive adaptation there. Um, but fortunately, as we were hitting July, you know, we got rain, and I think the rain caught up. So I think we had, over the, over the arc of the season, really good forage production and grazing throughout the season. I actually think last year at this time was worse because we had that fall drought. So we kind of lost the whole tail end of our grazing. All our animals were on hay in early October. And now we're just transitioning them onto hay now this year in, in early November. So, um, yeah, I think we sort of caught up for that. We had, you know, again, on the marketing side, we had rainy weekends. So we had a huge sort of revenue hit due to weekend after weekend of rainy weather in September into October. Again, it's surprising, you know, you would think the rain would be a problem on the production side or we didn't have any issues with waterlogging our potatoes or carrots. The way our beds were set up, I think, allowed them to be more resilient. So we didn't have those waterlogging issues for us. It was really just the hit on foot traffic at the market. That was Brent Habig from Two Creek Regenerative Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania. Again, Kaylin Jocelyn from Lucky Dog Organic Farm in Hamden, New York. That rainy weather showed itself in the city during our market weekends for about eight weeks in a row we were going and setting up and selling in the rain which has an impact on you know customer turnout and which impacts our bottom line through those busy months where we're trying to make as much as we can. What was more challenging with those heavy rains is when we had the thunderstorms with hail 
Once again, Eugene Tholman. I remember I was in my steel building and there was marble size hail dropping out of the sky. And I'm sitting there just with my heart pounding because the high tunnel in the back only has one layer of film. And this was like late July before maximum fruiting production really ensued, meaning that if those hail had went through the high tunnel, I'd be out a few thousand dollars to replace the skin. That's materials, labor, and cleanup. And then on top of that, there's about $10,000 of, of fruits, fruiting crop inside the high tunnel. Um, and, you know, you couldn't, I was trapped in the steel building. Like you could not walk outside. So I remember just sitting there and just with my heart pounding. I took my van after the hail stopped and I actually grabbed a cup of the angry ice to make myself a drink after I knew everything was all right. So you had a kind of a drink to celebrate? Yeah. And I called it angry ice because that was an angry storm that day. Sonia Hedlund and Dick Reisling have been operating Apple Pond Farm and Renewable Energy Education Center in Calicoon Center, New York. Unpredictable weather took a truly destructive toll on the solar and wind-powered farm this year. We have been running Apple Pond Farm and Renewable Energy Education Center for close to 50 years, growing each year, expanding from training horses uh, to uh, building wind turbines and focusing on renewable energy and also inviting young farmers to learn farming skills here. We've been open to the public. We probably have 30,000, 40,000 people who visited us over the years, and it's been a wonderful time. I'm very happy we've done it, but this last year, weather, what it was, totally everything has changed. Well, tell us, Sonia, how did the weather impact you this year, 2023? On Earth Day, which was in April, at about six at night, there was a warning on our cell phone. There's a tornado coming and go to a, a low place. So we did that. And we had hardly been there for not even five minutes. And it came and went. Was what all I remember in a darkened basement. And then... We realized we had no electricity, that for no water. Um, we tried to open the front door. We couldn't open the front door. We couldn't open the basement door because they were completely barricaded by trees that had been cut down like a chainsaw over our whole front of our property. 500 trees completely demolished and pushed up the driveway. So that night... The volunteer firemen came and they cut away so at least we could get out if there was an emergency. NYSEG was there and Spectrum was there. And by the next morning when we could see, we were speechless to see. I never could see my neighbors from my house. I could never see a light across the way because there were so many trees on either side of the driveway. But all of that was gone. I mean... It was stunning. So from April until now, almost nine months, all I've done and all Dick and I have done is cope with the tornado. And the response of people to help us has been absolutely overwhelming. And we will always be grateful. Was this year different from other years? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there's no turning back. The farm has totally changed forever. Um, The barn, which was built in 18... 1890s, a really well-built, all-hand-hewn beams. With the advice of the local barn restorers, we restored the barn. We uh, fixed the garage. Our wind turbine, 120-foot wind turbine, had been up for 20 years and had recently been refurbished, um, destroyed. Um, Every shed was gone. That was nine sheds for horses. Every fence was down. Um... Yeah, things were thrown for hundreds of feet all over the place. You'd find uh, carts and wheels, you know, that were near the road. Then they were way back by the barn. And it just took a long time, but people were wonderful. The very next day, people came to bring their good wishes and the Red Cross. Someone, um, early bird cookery, I do think it was, developed a, a food train. I never thought of that. You, you know, I had no water. 
no electricity. We got we did get a generator going. And for about 30 days, I think it was 30 households delivered food to us. We told them if we were vegan or vegetarian or whatever, and they brought meals that would last for maybe two days. It was wonderful. People came and helped cutting down trees and, uh, you know, it was just amazing. We learned a lot about insurance. People need to do a little more preparation and scrutiny of their insurance policy. I don't think often the agent really digs deeply enough. We didn't realize that cleanup is of uh, after an event, it can be a very small item in your policy. I think ours was $10,000. Well, when we had a lumberman come and begin to cut down trees, he wanted cash $2,000 for one day's work. There was no way that the policy was going to come near to helping us clean up anything. Um, it w- just wasn't not enough money. We never thought we should think more about cleanup and fences. We didn't think about that. Farm Service Agency helped us and would try to figure out ways to do some preservation of the land, and we decided not to burn. Burning's quick. Burning is not good. We made chips. It just adds too much pollution to the air. So I have enough wood chips and shavings to last for a long time. Um, The animals, we had sheep and goats, and they were all over the place. And we they didn't go away, but they were just running around, and we got them into shelter. And nobody died. Nobody had an accident that I know of, but our spirits were really battered in a very— the way any kind of trauma, whether you've had a flood or a fire, it really does something to your inner core of your— thinking about your life. So now Dick and I are trying to figure out what will be the next chapter because we think there is a place for a farm open to the public with programs to teach citizens about climate change and agriculture and um, eating real food and having a garden, raising some chickens. We think there's a place for that in this neighborhood which is becoming gradually more and more gentrified. And I think we must be aware of what's happening to our little towns. We had put the farm into an agricultural easement some years ago through the Delaware Highlands Conservancy. We didn't want the 80 acres to be developed. Usually the pattern is someone buys a big farm and they make parcels out of it and they sell each one for and, you know, 10 acres they could sell for $30,000, $40,000. And we made it certain that our farm will never be developed that way. But that may be a deterrent to selling the farm because people may think, well, you know, we really want to, we don't want 80 acres. We just want a beautiful house. And so we're looking for those kind of people or that kind of agency that would want to keep a public open farm here because there's it, I don't think there's anything quite like it here. So for the right group of people, I think Apple Pond Farm could have another life and that's kind of what I'm hoping. You speak with so much passion. Is there anything else you'd like the audience to know about your experience? One of my takeaways was if not now, when? I'm now an old woman, and the idea of postponing things really has to be looked at. Um, if not now, when are you going to do that? And if, you're not, if you've had a dream that you really want to pursue, try to do it um, and try to find other people to work with you. Somehow participating in the this neighborhood where I have now been living for 50 years, you know, I can't imagine moving anyplace else. Being on a farm and engaging in what nature has to offer can be a wonderful life. Um, So I've got to be optimistic about it. But when something like this happens, you're just never going to be the same. No. That 
with Sonia Hedlund from Apple Pond Farm and Renewable Energy Education Center in Calicoon Center, New York. We've been listening to local farmers talk about the difficult time they had with unpredictable and challenging weather this year. But as hard as this year was, none of the farmers that we talked to sounded defeated. No, in fact, they're more resilient than ever, and they want you to know it. Here is Stuart Madney of Seminary Hill Orchard and Cidery. I'm incredibly interested and intent on developing the varieties that best match our area and then developing the products that really express their qualities. And that just has to pause when we have a year like this. Once again, Bill Hess, Director of Orchard Facilities at Seminary Hill Orchard and Cidery in Calicoon, New York. We really thought we were past the danger point. This year is like, oh, thank God they're not in blossom. And the, the ironic thing is the trees we have in blossom had fruit. The trees were past blossom is what lost their fruit, which I've never seen that before. Do you attribute that to climate change as they blossomed early? Yeah, it's definitely changing. It's more erratic, I would guess, but you're always going to be in some kind of flux. If you look back and even down the decades in the Democrat, you'll read sometimes there 100 years ago, the cider makers rejoiced good apple year. So, you know, even 100 years ago, it, was, it wasn't a sure thing. Eugene Thalman. For the last few years, being a younger farmer in the community, I would ask some older farmers and people a little older than me, like, what do you think the weather's going to be like? And they always would chuckle, Eugene, your crystal ball is probably not accurate. You're just going to have to deal with the weather, how it comes. And as time has gone on and I've developed more skills and more competencies and the ability to handle challenges, I don't even really consider too much of where the weather is. I mean, I'll look 10 days out and plan accordingly. And this year, you just have practices and skills to ensure that whatever the weather is, you handle it, and hopefully you come out ahead instead of behind. You know, that that seems to counterbalance the sort of dire slash negative connotations of our overall theme here, you know, of, of wow, this is a really hard year. Let's talk about how hard it was. It's almost like you're saying, like, yeah, it was hard, but it's always hard. You kind of got to deal with it. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, no matter what happens is just challenges every which way. I mean, the unpredictability of, like, the large scale, like those wildfires or the drought in May, like, those are things that are very challenging. But that gives you the experience and the know-how and hopefully the ability to set up infrastructure to then mitigate those challenges overall. So when we really look at this is, you know, we should be utilizing these challenges that we're experiencing, these hardships, to help ourselves personally grow and grow as a society at large. Kaylin Jocelyn. Having that frost and then having a lot of the rain did diminish what we brought in this year on our blueberries. But we still had enough to go ahead and put some in the freezer, and that's what you can see on the table right here. So we didn't lose everything, which is better than losing everything. So... Well, your name is Lucky Dog, isn't it? Is that why? Yeah, for more reasons than that, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like the non-farming folks to know? Well, I guess every every occupation has its ups and downs, so I don't know what the, the non-farming people, they probably have all their problems too. And I don't know what those problems are, and with any amount of luck, thanks to you, uh, maybe they will find out what it's like in the country if you're a farmer, what kind of problems you run into. And some of them you can kind of skirt and bypass, and some of them are just hit you between the eyes. Anything you're going to do about it. Yeah, everybody has their problems, be it New York City or be it Damascus, you know. Well, in my opinion, <laughs> I'm from the city. I grew up in the city, and uh, all I ever wanted to do was live in the country. I was lucky that my father had the same opinion, so we we moved here when I graduated from high school, but we were here all the years before just coming on weekends. 
So I know both ends of it. And uh, what I would like city people to know is that you're really blessed if you can lead this life. In spite of the hardship, you get over the hardship because it's so much fun to wake up in the morning and see the daybreak, hear the birds and, and see the sunsets and the sunrises and the stars at night. I, I just can't say enough about it hear the water running along the stream, look out and see the animals. If, if you're interested in raising animals, it's a wonderful life because they give you plenty of reward themselves. I know my horses do, and so I would wish that for anybody. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with Radio Catskill. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this conversation before we close? I'd like to thank Farm and Country for being there every week. (laughs) I listen in the barn. (laughs) Thank you, Rosie. You've been listening to Hard Harvest, a special presentation from Radio Catskill. Thank you to everyone who participated by sharing their stories with us. And thanks to farmers everywhere. They are the most resilient and knowledgeable people on the planet. And thank you for listening. I'm Jason Dole, host of The Local Edition. And I'm Rosie Starr, host of Farm and Country. Join us next Saturday at 10 a.m. on Farm and Country. And remember to join Patricio and I on The Local Edition every weekday evening at 6, right here on Radio Catskill. Listen local. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. You may have heard that prices for used vehicles are up. Well, I bring this up because that car or truck you don't need anymore, it's probably worth more today as a donation than it was even a few months ago. So if you don't need it anymore, or if it's going to be too expensive to repair, why not donate it to this station? It's easy, it's free to you, and the proceeds help us bring you the news. Donate at WJFFradio.org.